Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Karlinski, and this is Young History, episode 68 on Georgia. The capital of this country is Tbilisi, and the name of Georgia is believed to come from either the patron saint, George the Dragon Slayer, the one who is the patron saint of this country. It could also be the Persian name, which is Gralk, for Land of the Wolves, which kind of breaks further down into Georgia. Or it could also be derived from one of the terms that the Cardvelians, who are the indigenous people of this land, used to describe the land itself. So, a lot of debate over what the name origin is, but it doesn't matter that much because the rest of the history is absolutely ridiculous. But a big thing that helps people when they're actually trying to research this country is discerning it between the U.S. state of Georgia and this one. This is also called Sakartvala or Skartvelia, in the local tongue. And speaking of the local tongue, the language here of Georgian is not spoken anywhere else in the world, and it is unrelated to every other language there is, including Armenian, which is like that similar kind of thing where it's not related to anything. It doesn't have Asiatic roots or Indo-European roots at all. And there is technically three separate alphabets for this language, but only one of them is used frequently. And archaeological evidence has shown wine residue on an ancient Georgian piece of pottery, which is, as of today, the oldest evidence of wine ever being consumed in the world so this country's history goes back super super far and we're getting to it super soon there is a lot to get into there's things from soviets to communists to all sorts of things to far back kingdoms it's it's a lot but we're gonna get into it it's gonna be a fun one because georgia is at one of the most important regions in the world in the caucasus and it's right next to russia even closer than armenia was so this is gonna be a fun one and just one more time my name is reese karlinski this is young history and this is georgia let's do this thing Our origins begin at an unknown date, but it is known that the Proto-Kartvelians, who are the indigenous people of this land, have been here for millennia, and their agriculture was very focused on cultivating wine and meats like pork and steak, so they were able to grow crops here and also enjoy things that are considered nowadays very fine dining. So the nutrition here was very high, and this led to an early opportunity to expand, but this would not be left to just them for a very long time at all as they would face invasions in their early history very quickly. The Hittites, Assyrians, and the kingdom of Urartu, which is one of the earliest civilizations in the world, all took tribute from the Kartvelian villages after taking them over, or at least invading them enough to make them become a tributary state. The Dioe Confederation was formed in response to these foreign invasions right around the 12th century BC, and the kingdom of Colchis was formed from here not long after in the northwest region of the country, which is currently disputed land. Colchis became a great trade kingdom and held peace for a very long time and was seen as the edge of the world by most of the Greeks because of its location so far east and because of lack of knowledge of the greater Asian continent at the time. Different powers would come in and out of Colchis and different forms of Colchis would take over over many, many millennia, which would lead us to the Persian Achaemenid Empire taking power in the land around 550 BC and ruling until 330 BC. During that time, it was the largest state on earth and high taxes and forced corruption came with the fact that the Persians had now taken over this land. Alexander the Great then defeated the Persians and took the land of the Persian Empire. He ended up making Colchis an independent region once again, and it remained independent for a very long time. The kingdom of Kartli, or Iberia, was founded in 302 BC. This was another Kartvelian-speaking state that was directly next to Colchis, just barely southeast of it. It was literally a southeastern border. And Iberia actually negotiated with the Seleucid Empire so independence within itself could be maintained as well. But 
Armenia made Iberia into a vassal state as the Seleucid Empire started to fall because the Armenian Empire was loyal to the greater Parthian Empire. Relations stayed good between Colchis, Iberia, and Armenia for a long time despite Iberia being a vassal state, but this didn't last a super long time. There was occasional fighting, but overall the problem didn't blow up hugely for ages. Pontus was a Black Sea Empire that took over the Colchis region in the 1st century BC, and then we see the introduction of a very huge power that would leave a long-lasting effect, and that would be ancient Rome. Rome took over the Colchis region after defeating Pontus, and good relations were made very quickly between both Iberia and Rome. Rome helped Iberia build fortifications, and the land was called Friend of Caesar, and the people both here in Colchis and Iberia were called the Roman-loving Iberians. The connection helped Iberia stand up to Armenia, which had been stronger for most of its history to this point, and this led to the rise of Parasmanes I. He was a military leader in Iberia, and he took over both Armenia and the Caucasus region of Albania, not the Western European Albania, but this kind of tiny region that is just east of both Armenia and Georgia in what is now Azerbaijan. This is called Albania. And the empire under Parasmanes I didn't last very long as the Parthians helped Armenia against these Iberian fighters and power was reestablished. But the control here wouldn't matter anyways because Rome would also come back and a lot of fighting would start. So Rome versus Parthia was a very dense and serious two-century-long war for this region. And Colchis was the battleground for both empires throughout most of this conflict. Rome was eventually able to fully incorporate Colchis into the empire as a new province. Then Colchis formed into a tiny, mostly autonomous vassal state called Lazica in the 2nd century AD. This was also when the Roman colony of Abasgia was formed, and this is when the culture in this region starts to diversify and become different from Greater Georgia, which hasn't even been fully established yet. And you'll see why this region, which is in the northwest of modern Georgia and is its separate point, it becomes disputed and stays that way even into the modern age. And it starts here with the Roman Empire making it into Abasgia. Iberia's independence came in the 2nd century when the government of Iberia was able to use the Roman and Parthia conflict to negotiate itself into a position of being an independent buffer state between the two great powers. Then, the Sassanid Persians would actually come in and overthrow the Parthians in the 3rd century AD, and this would begin their time of battling the Roman Empire. They took power in Armenia and would have to fight a lot of battles against other powers in the area, especially other Christian powers. Christianity really started to take root as the main religion in Lazica, which was Colchis, and Iberia. So because of this, Iberia would get tossed back and forth between Rome and the Sassanids because of the loyalty of the people leaning both ways, not only because of their religion, which was now Rome was starting to become more Christian, and of course the Persians were not. So there was battle over that, and loyalty of the people was fought over, and then of course the land was just fought over in general because these were the still the two prominent powers at the time. Iberia would eventually adhere to vassaldom under the Sassanids after years and years of fighting. Lazica, however, was able to avoid most conflicts, but that did end in 541 AD at the beginning of the Lazic War, which lasted for 21 years until 562 AD, which ended up seeing the Sassanids take over. But a negotiation was made with Rome to be annually paid in gold for the release of this region back to Rome. So the Sassanids were now getting paid to have it, and the Rome still got to have their control of this region. Tensions grew, however, between the Sassanid Persians and Iberia, as the Zoroastrian religion from Persia actually started to sneak into the state as a co-main religion, and resistance from Iberia saw it be dissolved fully into the greater Armenian vassal. So anything that was Iberia for a time was just wiped away and incorporated into Armenia. However, the Kartvelians still rebelled. They had a lot of already established national pride, and pride in their borders at least. So wars would go on between Rome, 
Sassanid Persia, and the Kartvelians within Armenia slash Iberia for a long time. Eventually, Iberia was reestablished when the Arab powers were able to weaken the Sassanid Persians and force them to pull out of the region to defend their more prominent lands, and the Principality of Iberia was established in 588. The region of Lazica was able to garner support for a revolt, and they successfully stood up against the Eastern Roman Empire, but the influence of Constantinople wasn't fully removed for a very long time. More invasions came from the Arabs and the Khazars in the 7th and 8th hundreds, which forged Iberia and Lazica into a strong alliance against these invaders. Most of their attempted defenses were very successful, but they did end up losing a lot of land at different times, and of course, no matter how successful they were, they still faced a lot of death and destruction from all these invasions. Kazia and Lazica actually united together in 778 after diplomatic marriages between male leaders of Kazia and female ones in Lazica saw these two unite into the kingdom of Abkhazia, which is still around today, not as a kingdom, but Abkhazia itself. And this power, full kingdom, began to prosper as overall peace allowed improvements in economy and the structure of the country to get better overall. Iberia did not have the same luck. They struggled against the foreign invasions and lacked political structure, and the capital of Tbilisi was taken by Arabs and made into an emirate. This emirate of Tbilisi was the headquarters of operation for Arabs in the Caucasus for a long time, and it would be separate from Iberia, Abkhazia, slash Lazica, slash Colchis for a very long time as its own emirate under the Arabs and then under other powers for a long time too. As this was going on, the struggles in Iberia did not end. Invasion from nomads like the Alans and the returning Khazars did not stop, as well as invasions from the Arab leaders continued to go on. They had great effects on the land and actually crushed most of the cities in Iberia. And for over a century, all of Iberia's nobility was hunted down and killed. The only surviving family was the Bagradids. It was only a small handful of surviving members that were able to be the sole power and consolidate power in the region as they eventually reestablished the Kingdom of Iberia. This was in 888 AD, and the kingdom faced internal fighting between the Bagradi family, but eventually things were united once again under David III, the Duke of Tal. He took all the power in the late 900s, and he sent out raids in all directions with his now united army and brought back a lot of tribute. David III was not only a great warlord in the way that he sent out warriors, but he was also a great diplomat. He was able to insert his army into many Byzantine conflicts on many different occasions and was able to gain support from them. He was eventually able to move forward talks of uniting all the Kartvelian regions, and he arranged for his son, Bagrat III, to take the throne of both Abkhazia and Iberia, which, after these negotiations were successful, led to the creation of the Unified Kingdom of Georgia in 1008. After many years of unification work, this successful kingdom saw Bagrat III, who was the son of David III, be the head monarch of all this land. He ended up making an ally agreement with Armenia in the south to strengthen the presence in the region, and Bagrat even imprisoned his own family members so that his son George I would have an even more assured ascendance to the throne of Georgia. George I ascended to the throne in 1014, and he ambitiously annexed a region of Byzantium that bordered the nearby Black Sea, but he was eventually pushed out by a stronger Byzantium force. Then, around the year 1100 CE, the Seljuk Turks arrived and pushed a lot of Byzantium's territorial claims back west, and they also attacked Georgia, forcing it into a situation where they were once again a tributary state. This lasted until David IV took power. He was a descendant of Bagrat and David III. He stood up against the tributary system of the Seljuks, and he gave them a decisive defeat at the Battle of Didgori in 1121. This victory would lead to a massive expansion of Georgia and the dawn of the eventual Golden Age in the kingdom. This Golden Age would be fully cemented by a leader called Tamar the Great. She 
yes, she, which is right here at this time, was the great-granddaughter of David IV, and she was a badass. I'm going to get into all the things she did and achieved and all the things that happened under her rule and how much it influenced Georgia. She ruled from 1184 to 1213, and she started at the early age of 21. She maintained power despite dealing with civil wars and constant family greed trying to seek her murder out or to take the throne from her. Cousins plotted against her, uncles did, and even some women did too who were connected to their man, but a lot of hate was placed on her simply for being a woman monarch. She made an unexpected move by imprisoning all of her enemies and her husband at the time under very reasonable accusations that treason was being plotted against her, and she even stopped two uprisings because of how powerful and negotiable she was. Prince David came from a land just north of Iberia and would become the second husband to Tamar. He stayed very loyal to her and never once tried to overthrow her. He used his military skills to expand Georgia into a real Caucasus empire where the land of Georgia touched both the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, and a lot of regions north-south of modern-day Georgia. And the entire region of the Caucasus was under Georgian control. They eventually would head west with the power of Tamar and her husband combined to create the state of Trebizond, which was a smaller state underneath the Black Sea that operated separately from Georgia, but with sovereignty belonging to Georgia. This sovereignty was established when Tamar placed her younger sister on the throne, which really showed how important she was and how much power she had, not only over Georgia, but over the entire region that she ruled in. The golden age of culture and art also happened under Tamar. Art was important and created a lot of national pride in Georgians, and this also led to the language being developed further, as well as people starting to do Georgian-style literature, and all sorts of things becoming very Georgian, Georgian, Georgian. Tamar was not only great on the offense, she was great on the defense. She was forced to watch the slow decline of the Byzantine Empire and Constantinople in the late 1100s, and because of this, she claimed herself and her kingdom as the sole defender of Christianity in the Eastern world. For a long time, she would back other Christian powers against the Ottomans and other powers that were in the region that were not Christian. And she would fight till her very last day as one of the most powerful rulers in the region, and definitely the most powerful ruler Georgia has seen to this day. She died under the title King of Kings, Queen of Queens, Autocrat of all the East and West, and other very strong names. This girl sounds like Daenerys from Game of Thrones with how many nicknames she has. After her, of course, we see the usual thing that happens in history, which is after a really, really strong leader is in, things really start to fall apart because no one's able to hold that same standard of power. And with this region, it was the Mongol invasions, which began in 1220. These invasions were so brutal and, of course, less, less well defended against than they should have been because Tamar was dead, that the empire shrank really, really fast. Lands were taken by either the Mongols directly or they were weakened so much that there was uprisings that couldn't be defended against. So the land that was once the Great Georgian Empire reduced to even smaller than its modern state. It ended up splitting into two separate parts, but in the early 1400s, it did reunite, and stability started to come back in for the first time since the death of Tamar. Because in that long time after her death, there was nothing but invasions and economic struggle and confusion about what to do. Tamerlane, who was leader of the Mongol Turks, sacked Georgia in 1386 and absolutely shattered it to pieces. He crushed people, crushed churches, crushed families, caused the death of hundreds of thousands, and it was brutal. He not only left death and destruction behind him, but also no centralized power. Georgia had become a bunch of small clashing states, and there was no idea of when Georgia would reunite or if it was going to at all. However, despite this, and despite the fact of where Tamerlane came from, Islam was still not accepted. Ottomans and Safavids actually took the Caucasus over pretty much directly in half. The west was the Ottomans and the east was the Safavids. And the region now acted as a huge battleground for these great powers. And two really powerful former Georgian states that saw a lot of battling here was Imereti and, Kart and Kartli. 
They lie directly on the border of where the fighting was happening, and they maintained a lot of autonomy for ages, and they swayed the tide of influence in the region back and forth. This went on until King Erichel II saw no, was able to see that there was no end to the fighting against foreign powers and other faiths, so he started speaking on the idea of allying with a rising power in the north, the Russian Empire. This led to an ally agreement being formed between the Russian Empire and the Kartvelian people, and this really upset Persia, and this led to them invading and actually destroying the capital of Georgia. But things would change again when the Russo-Persian War happened in 1804, and battling here lasted until 1813. They fought for supremacy over the Caucasus and a war, but Russia would actually emerge victorious. The Russian Empire followed this war by adding Georgia to its ranks as part of the empire, and serfdom was abolished and railways were built. So at first, it seemed like really good rule, and a new change in power was good for Georgia. But things would start to shift to the negative direction when Russification would happen. It was enacted in Georgia during the rule of Tsar Alexander I and was heavily resisted by Georgians who had already started to see themselves become a very proud people. That will not change. One of the main people who resisted Russification was Ilya Chavchavadze. He was an author that spent his entire life protecting and preserving Georgian culture and language. And because of him, the Georgian language advanced further. It was able to resist Russification. And a lot of the texts we have from the 1800s are because of preservation efforts led by Ilya. The Russian Empire eventually did collapse in the early 1900s after a loss in war to Japan and the subsequent Russian Revolution that came after it. The region would see many Transcaucasian committees formed to unite the region and to kind of use diplomacy to solve their issues. But things were really unstable until the Democratic Republic of Georgia was established from the years 1918 to 1921. In this time, a man named Joseph Zhukhaskvali was born in Georgia. This man would eventually move north, change a lot of things in Russia, and eventually take the name Joseph Stalin. Yes, this really powerful leader and influential, also disgusting, terrible human, Joseph Stalin, was born in Georgia, despite being a really huge dictator in Russia. After World War I, the Georgian Soviet Social Republic was formed in 1921, and it lasted until the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. But during that time, World War II saw 300,000 Georgians fight against Hitler and the Axis powers on the side of Stalin's Red Army. And this is where the reputation for Stalin within Georgia starts to split. <clears throat> Stalin gets the reputation half as the brutal dictator that led to the Holodomor and killed thousands and led to eventual Russification. But he's also seen as the one that made Russia the superpower it is and is kind of also claimed as a semi-successful person slash hero of sorts. By some Georgians. This is a very conservative view, and the modern age has people not hold him on the same standard because they look at him on how many awful things he did, which are some of the worst things ever done in human history, and things are starting to slip away. But some Georgians still do claim Stalin pretty proudly. The USSR had very tight control on the country they were ruling. Rule came with some stability and growth in production, but it was very corrupt overall, and Stalin's brutal policing and constant surveillance of citizens that led to executions and deportations were very present here. After the Soviet Union eventually fell in 1991, independence was officially declared from this country on April 9, 1991. This made Georgia the first non-Baltic region to become independent from Soviet control after being a former Soviet satellite state. The Georgian Civil War broke out right after independence and lasted for two years from 1991 to 1993. Because the regions of Abkhazia and South Ossetia were autonomous under the USSR, and once independence for Georgia came, 
they no longer had their autonomy, and they definitely leaned much more Russian in the way they were culturally compared to the rest of the region within Georgia. So these two regions claimed independence, and with backing from Russia, they fought against the Georgian government. In Abkhazia, over 20,000 civilians were killed and 200,000 were displaced. This was the most bloody area of this war. The result of this war was the creation of the de facto autonomous regions of Abkhazia and South Ossetia, which are still independent as autonomous states today, but they are not recognized by Georgia or most of the world. The Rose Revolution was a peaceful protest that happened in 2003 after a nationwide clamor for Georgia to move into a more Western-style civilization swept over the country because of the fact that they saw how bad the economy was and the war was with Russia. They wanted a system that did not represent Russia at all and wanted to really move towards being Western. This protest led to a lot of short-term reforms and promises being proposed, but none of them actually went through or lasted. And this led to even more conflict as tensions really started to grow and South Ossetia wanted their freedom fully. And this would culminate in the Russo-Georgian War. This broke out in 2008 after South Ossetia began bombing Georgian cities. The Georgian army went to attack South Ossetia, but they were met by Russian forces who would invade the land to defend the de facto regions. Georgia would lose this war and again have to agree to allow these de facto regions to remain autonomous. And this led to Russia officially recognizing the region and Georgia cutting off all diplomatic ties with Russia. And now Russians store troops here, which is very, very tense for Georgians because in the present day, as I record this, it was about a year ago that Ukraine was first invaded in 2022 by Russia. And with literal regions within the country of Georgia being already occupied by both ethnic Russians and Russian troops, very similar to the way the Crimean Peninsula was occupied by Russia, except owned by Ukraine. It's very tense for Georgians. It's very scary for them, and it makes them think that war could come on their doorstep very, very soon. And that does get us to the present, where the economy is in a strong place. The country is ranked high on the Human Development Index, and the, after ages of uncertainty and a lot of fighting and wars, Georgians seem to finally have a nation they're proud to be a part of, but that isn't what's new. But that isn't what's new. These people have always wanted to defend their nation when it was Colchis, when it was Lazica, when it was Abkhazia, and now when it's Georgia. And it, that could be seen even in the, those breakaway regions of both South Ossetia and Abkhazia. So the region is fighting very hard, and this country has very strong people, but things are definitely tough when it comes to the international scale because of their location in the world. It's just a headache being Russia's neighbor. It's just how it goes. And currently, Georgia produces some of the best Olympic wrestlers and weightlifters in the world. And though peace is not a guarantee, the country is definitely doing well for itself compared to its long and bloody past. And that pretty much gets us to the end, where I always like to leave it with a takeaway or a mindset. And with Georgia, that is show grit. I don't care how that comes off. I mean it. These people are rowdy, hardy, tough SOBs. And that is the truth. People from Georgia have had to fight hard for centuries and centuries to maintain autonomy, to have their own country, to have their own region within the Caucasus. And despite all of that, they've had strong leaders, weak leaders, leaders that betrayed them, constant war with Persians and Russians and Safavids and Achaemenid Persians, Greeks, Romans, everything throughout their history, yet they are still here. They are strong. They're independent. And that takes grit. That takes a lot of grinding your teeth and pushing through it. For ages, even in the last century, they were ruled by the USSR, which was famous for its brutality under Stalin, famous for its lack of rights, famous for the way that it neglected people. The people of Georgia were able to push through that fully and wholeheartedly. There was never a second where they were bending the knee or thought that Russia was this great ruler or thought that they would always be under the Russian boot forever. Never. They did what they had to to get by. You could see that literally within the first 10 years of independence, 
there fighting a war. And then as soon as that war is over, they're having a revolution to change their government. The people here are gritty and hard. And that is a very, very tough but effective way to live. I say apply that to your life as you are, as you are going to have to be really gritty in some situations. If you have a big dream, you have some shit you're pushing for, you have something you really, really want, it's going to take so much. And a lot of my episodes I leave this way, but that is my overall philosophy with really anything that truly matters. And that could be your relationship, your dream, your everything. Because no matter what situation you're in now, you could look outside and know that you want a different situation and you want different results. But it's going to take work and it's going to take grit. I will say that word over and over again because that is my overall philosophy, that there is nothing that great you can get from this world. There's nothing that great you can achieve, find, build if you don't have to grind your teeth to get through part of it. It's just the truth. You should be comfortable in your relationship. Your person should not make you want to grit your teeth. But there will be times when distance will tear you apart. Careers will tear you apart. And if you really believe this is the relationship for you, you will grit your teeth to have it. And if you are single and you look at love and you know there is love in your heart and you want something beautiful and strong, you're going to have to grit your teeth through the lonely times. Grit your teeth through the times where you're alone and make yourself better and strong. Not only so that you attract others, but so that you are attractive to yourself and that energy just exudes out into the world. If you want a huge, incredible career in a competitive industry and you want to change the world, that is going to take so much grit, so much grinding your teeth, that you are going to have to take the losses, the hard lessons, and you're going to have to make really, really hard choices. You will have to end relationships for your future. You will have to end your old hobbies to create new ones. You will have to knock down a lot of walls in your life, break down a lot of barriers, break down a lot of emotional barriers if it means achieving greatness. That takes grit, that takes moxie, that takes being hardy. That is a perfect way to describe Georgians and their history. And if you are able to do that, I could almost guarantee you will find success in the things you do. So that is my lesson to take away from this country's very long and very interesting history. And I really hope you guys got something out of it. I don't want to come up here and preach. I'm nobody. I'm just some guy. But I have found the things that make me feel like I'm doing the right thing in my life. And it has been hard work. And it has been pushing myself to do things. I am recording this very late at night right now. I could have gone to sleep. But I wanted to hit my quota for the week. And I wanted to know that I pushed another episode out. And I kept the ball rolling. and kept momentum high. And kept practicing being behind this microphone. Because my dream in life is to have a podcast that changes the world. And I'm not going to get there if I don't grind for it. And that is the same with all of you. So... Whatever you got out of this, if it was just some fun history, if it was a cool lesson, if you just wanted to support your boy talking in this microphone, all of those things, not only do I really appreciate you, but I thank you so much for it, and I really hope you did enjoy whatever you got out of this. So thank you all so much for being here as always. I really hope you do come back. And one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski, this is Young History, and that was Georgia. You guys have a great night.